So I don't know how you're feeling, but it's been, um, maybe this summer has flown by. It has flown by for me. Uh, it's been a unique summer a little bit for me in that um, over the last month since we got back from Rush, I've been on sabbatical, which is kind of a weird churchy word that people are like, what does that mean? And uh, I love the fact that, that the leadership of this church gives pastors every five years a, just a sabbatical, a month to just take a break and rest. And that's what they promised me it was for, not because I had screwed something up but rather because they wanted me to rest and relax and things like that. And so, um, and so I did. So I had a great uh, month, just got back last Sunday, was my first Sunday back, and I uh, spent a lot of time with my family. Uh, in fact, my wife and I, a couple weeks ago, went on a trip, just her and I, no kids, to, uh, to New York City. And so each of us had been there separately, but we had never been there together. And so we thought, man, this would be cool. Let's go on a, on a trip together uh, without the kids which is the key part of that. And, uh, and so we had a great time and packed as much as we possibly could in those few days that we were there, did all the touristy things and, you know, toured the sites and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. As a lifelong Mets fan, I got a chance for the first time to go and see a game, a Mets game at the Mets stadium, which none of you care about. <laughs> what was that? And they won the game, again, which none of you care about, but I care. My wife didn't care, right? quite honestly. She was tagging along, and I know this is important to you, but she's like, can this game please be over? But we had a great time, and, um, and ironically, the fans there were a whole lot more willing to high-five me with my Mets gear on than the fans at SunTrust Park. I don't, I don't know what that was about. But uh, we had a great time, and then we rented a car, drove up to Boston for a few days, and had fun there. And I'm a, a little bit of a history geek. I don't know if any of you guys are like me that don't want to admit it. But, um, but unashamedly, kind of a little bit of a history geek. So I suggested to my wife, hey, let's one day, let's go downtown. There's a lot of history in downtown Boston, whole American Revolution, kind of a big deal. So let's go check that out. And so we, um, so we did. So we showed up one morning down there, and we were going to do what they call the, the Freedom Trail. But when we got there, there were all of these people in 1600s clothing. So we did what any normal person would do. We pretended that we weren't with them. So we stayed far enough away from them that it appeared like we weren't with them, these crazy people that are dressed weird. But we were close enough that as they started explaining a site or whatever, we were kind of there where we could hear what they were saying so we could learn something. So we, uh, we didn't have to pay money for the trail, and we saved public embarrassment. So it was a, a win-win and very superficial. But, uh, but that's what we did. And, uh, but the highlight for me of that day in Boston was we walked down Court Street. And this wasn't even part of the Freedom Trail. But we turned a corner, walked down Court Street, and we walked past this simple plaque on the side of a building. And it was a, a plaque that I'm sure hundreds of people walk by every single day and don't even notice it. And so I, I took a picture of it, and it just... I actually was looking for this. And it said, D.L. Moody, Christian evangelist, friend of man, founder of the Northfield Schools, Converted to God in a shoe store on this site, April 21st, 1855. Now that may not mean anything to you. And maybe you don't even know who D.L. Moody is. But Dwight Moody was one of the greatest evangelists in the history of our country. And this plaque represented the place where his Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball showed up at his workplace and led him to faith in Jesus. And this man, D.L. Moody, went on, reached two continents with the gospel, led thousands of people to faith in Jesus Christ. But the cool thing is, is that it doesn't stop 
there at just D.L. Moody and what he did. Because as part of D.L. Moody's ministry, he led a guy to faith named Wilbur Chapman. And Wilbur Chapman himself became an evangelist and he preached the gospel to thousands of people. But it doesn't stop at Wilbur Chapman. Because as part of Wilbur Chapman's ministry, a guy that was listening to him share the gospel, trusted Christ as his savior as well, who was a former professional baseball player. His name was Billy Sunday. Maybe you've heard of, of that name, maybe a little bit familiar with it, but Billy Sunday himself left baseball, became an evangelist himself, and he started his ministry. But it doesn't stop at Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday, as part of his ministry, led a guy named Mordecai Ham to faith in Jesus. And Mordecai Ham, whose parents should be slapped for naming him that, he himself became an evangelist and he began to preach the gospel. And so he's preaching the gospel one Sunday in this church service. And it doesn't stop at Mordecai Ham because as part of this church service, this lanky high school boy walks in who really is out looking for trouble. And he wanders into this church service and he sits down and he hears Mordecai Ham preach the gospel. He comes back later that night and eventually he puts his faith and trust in Jesus as savior. This high school boy's name was Billy Graham. Now, you may not have heard of Edward Kimball or D.L. Moody, may not have heard of Wilbur Chapman or Billy Sunday or Mordecai Ham, but all of us have heard of the name of Billy Graham. The greatest evangelist ever who has preached the gospel to more than 2 billion people. And it all started at that site with this young man named D.L. Moody who trusted Christ as his savior. And I love the power of that, the ripple effect and how many people that impacted over the years. Have you ever wondered if maybe those little decisions that you make every single day, do they really matter? Do they really have significance? Potentially, do they have the impact that can have that ripple effect that can not only impact our own life, but impact others as well? Jesus tells a story in Mark chapter four that I think answers that question and really answers so many other questions as well. So we're in this series called Parables and we're studying the life of Jesus. And as part of this, we're looking at these stories that Jesus would tell the crowd that followed him. And so we're gonna look in Mark chapter four, starting in verse one, if you got your Bibles. It says, once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the, forms of, in the form of parables such as this one. Jesus says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seed fell on fertile soil and they sprouted and they grew and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much as had been planted. And then he said... Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. 
Now, there's probably a lot of us that are familiar with this story, this parable that Jesus told. Maybe we grew up in church, and so we're familiar with it. We've heard sermons on it before. We've studied it for ourselves. But I want you to kind of put that aside for just a minute and think about reading this or hearing this for the first time and how odd it must have been for the crowd who was hearing this. So this, this story is in three of the four Gospels. It's in Matthew chapter 13. It's also in, in Luke chapter 8. And it's the first parable that's told by Jesus in those three Gospels. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the most important, but it does suggest that the people that were hearing Jesus tell this story may not have been familiar with Jesus' teaching in this way. And they heard about Jesus and, you know, he's kind of built a little bit of of some fanfare and some notoriety. And so they show up, maybe for the first time, they're seeing Jesus. And all of a sudden he's telling this story about farmers and seed and thorns. And the people in the crowd had to have been thinking, "What? what? What is this? Maybe it's a little bit like the first time you saw the FarmersOnly.com commercial. Now think about that glorious day when your life was forever impacted by that commercial that now we see and we laugh and we're like, whatever, and we change the channel. But the first time we saw that and we heard the jingle, you know, it goes something like this. You don't have to be lonely. Call FarmersOnly.com. That sounds exactly like that lady, right? Come on, you remember the first time you saw that and you heard the jingle and you're like, what? What is this? A dating website for farmers. Like, is this, is this really necessary? We've gone to new lows now. No offense to farmers, but this is a little bit, it's a little bit strange, right? I, the first time I saw it, I thought it was a joke. And I don't know if, if you, some of you that are a little bit older in the crowd, like me, you remember like the, um, the old Energizer Bunny commercials, you know, the fake commercial and then Energizer Bunny walks across the screen. And I'm waiting for the Energizer Bunny to come across the screen. Fake commercial, haha, joke's on you. And it never comes. And so I pull out my phone. I'm like, what the heck was that? I'm recording it, sending out to friends going, have you guys seen this? What in the world is this commercial? Is this serious? And maybe to a certain extent, that's kind of what the people were thinking a little bit. Is this guy serious? Am I hearing what I think I'm hearing right now? I'm hearing this story about farming. Now, there there was probably farmers in the audience. Farming was a a pretty normal occupation in that day and time. So the chances are that there were some farmers that Jesus started talking and they were a little bit interested with the story. Now, not as interested as if Jesus had introduced FarmersOnly.com, right? That would have been cool. Hey, guys, got some stories to tell. But first, a little infomercial here. This isn't for you, you Pharisees and fishermen or whatever. But you farmers, listen in. I got this dating website. It's for you. I'm going to help you find a pretty lady, right? Now, they had been interested in that. So maybe not quite as interested, but their ears perked up a little bit. Jesus is talking my language a little bit. He's telling about what I do. But most of that crowd had no clue what Jesus is talking about. And then to make matters worse, Jesus finishes up by going, if you have ears, then hear. If you have ears, then hear. Jesus, I've got ears. We've we've all got ears. I, I don't really understand what you're talking about. And then he walks off 
He doesn't even explain the story to the crowd. If you're telling a story and the crowd is confused when you walk off, you might be the worst storyteller ever. All right, if you're in a, at a party and you've got your friends around and you're like, hey guys, got a story for you. And you start telling this story and by the end, everybody's like, great story, Bob. Not sure what that was about. You might want to stop telling stories at parties. So Jesus is telling the story and the crowd has no clue. And most of them walk off having no understanding what is going on. But everything Jesus does has a purpose. So there were probably also a lot of people in that crowd who had heard of Jesus, showed up maybe to see him for the first time and had kind of the mindset, hey, zip it, Jesus. Like with these stories and all that, let's, let's see another one of those cool miracles. Right? They, they were ready to be impressed with what Jesus could do, but they had no interest in what Jesus had to say. And Jesus is trying to weed out those people because what Jesus had to say was a whole lot more important than some temporary miracle that he performed. So he walks off, crowd's confused, probably go home like, all right, I'm never gonna see that guy again. And then the disciples are the ones that walk up to Jesus and go, Jesus, what in the world was that? You gotta explain this story to us. We don't understand. And so in verse 14, Jesus explains to the disciples what it means. He says, the farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and they immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They, are, they fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life the lure of wealth and the desire for other things. And so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even a hundred times as much as had been planted. So like a lot of parables that Jesus is telling, this parable is about God's kingdom. And so as Jesus is, is explaining this to the disciples, he, he says that the soil represents four types of people. All right, there's the first type of soil. The first type of people are those who hear the message, but they're not interested. And so Satan comes along and he, he steals that before it can take root in their heart. Now, these are the people who seem the most closed off to Jesus and the gospel. Then the second type of, of people are those who receive God's message initially, but their roots don't go deep. And when they face trials or suffering or hardship, then they quickly fade out. These may be the people who expect the Christian life to be easy or to be perfect. And when it's not, then they're ready to give up. It may also be those people who Maybe they trusted Christ at a young age, but they're, they're still immature in their faith. Their roots don't go deep. They're still shallow. Then the third type of person are those who are interested in God's kingdom. There's a desire there for the things of God, but they also are interested in the things of this world. So these are the type of people that try to live with one foot in God's kingdom, 
but also one foot in their own. And they're trying to have, play this balancing act. And at the end of the day, it's their interest in those things of this world that choke out their interest in what matters most. And then there's the fourth type, those who receive God's message and they make their lives fully about God's kingdom. And their love and their faith grow deep and there is a lot of fruit that's produced in their lives and also in the lives of other people. Now, in order to understand like the part that we play and, and the application for us, I think there's, there's two contexts or two parts that we play in the story. The first part is that you and I are recipients of God's kingdom. We are recipients of God's kingdom. Now, in this, in this part, you and I are the soil. All right, which means we are one of those four types of soil that, that Jesus is talking about. The question that we've got to answer is, which one are we? I once heard Francis Chan say, don't assume that you're the good soil. But isn't that a lot of times what we do? I mean, we assume that we're whatever good person Jesus is telling a story about. Right? We assume that we're the good Samaritan in that story. Or we assume that we are the one that would show mercy to that adulterous woman, not the Pharisee with the rock in his hand. Or we assume that we're the person that we would never betray Jesus. And in this story, we assume that we're the good soil. But the reality is this morning for, especially in a room this size, there are all four types of soil that are represented. There are some of you in the room this morning that you are completely disinterested in Jesus. You're here this morning and that's a, and that's a really good thing, but you have no desire for the things of God. You, you know, you, maybe you were forced to come here or whatever. In fact, you can't wait for me to shut up so you can get out of here. There may be some of you in, in the audience this morning that you're like that second type. Maybe right now you're experiencing hardship or suffering or pain in your life. And maybe, let's face it, the, the Christian life really hasn't played out like you thought it should. And maybe you find yourself at a place this morning where you're ready to throw in the towel and give up. Or maybe some of you in the room this morning that there is a desire for the things of God but you have filled your life with so many other things that the reality is it's choking out God's kingdom in your heart. And you and I can never be full recipients of God's kingdom as long as we're holding on to our own. And then there are some of you that are like that good soil and you are experiencing the abundant life that Jesus promises when we make our lives fully about him. So what type of soil are we? Maybe in a little bit of a, a moment of reflection, what happens to the good seed that's planted in your own life? When there are seeds of God's word or God's truth that are planted in your heart, are you the type of person that leans in to get more understanding? There's a desire there and you're trying to understand what it is that God's saying and how it applies to your life. Or are you the type of person that quickly dismisses it? I don't get it. I don't understand it. Let's just move on to something else. 
Do you find your allegiance is to Jesus alone? Has your relationship with God changed the way that you live? Is there evidence of God's kingdom in your everyday life? Because if the answer to that question is no, then that's a problem. And that may reveal what type of soil you are in this story. I think the, the truth for me is I've just been reflecting over the last couple of weeks is I, I've been both. I found myself to be unfit soil and good soil dependent on maybe seasons of my life. I mean, there, there have been moments in my life where I've been filled with pride and my own agenda and I've ignored God's word when it's been planted into my life and I've kind of done my own thing. There are seasons in my life where I've allowed rocks to form in the field of my heart and it has hindered growth in those areas. And then thank God there have been a lot of moments where I've allowed God's word to sink into my heart and change the way that I live. But if you and I claim that we are followers of Jesus, then we've got to be willing every single day to lean into the things of God and to determine what it is that Jesus has and how he wants to transform our life. So how is it that we decide or determine or can even change and make sure that we are the good soil that Jesus is talking about? I think there's a, a couple things that we've got to be willing to do. The first, being the good soil isn't possible without sacrifice. You and I have got to be willing to sacrifice something. Maybe we've got to be willing to sacrifice our pride and our idea that we've got everything figured out and we don't need God's help or anybody's help and maybe, maybe even surrender our lack of faith about who God is. We've got to be willing to sacrifice our idea and our mis misconception that the Christian life is supposed to be easy or safe or comfortable. And we've got to be willing to sacrifice other interests or sinful activity or anything that might try to take the place of our allegiance to Jesus. Are there rocks that you've allowed to form in your heart? We've got to be willing to sacrifice them, to pull them up so that the soil is ready to be planted in. The other thing that we've got to be willing to do is just ask God. We've got to be willing to lean into him. That when there are seeds that are planted and maybe we don't understand it, rather than dismiss it and kind of move on, but we lean in, we try to ask God, God, I don't understand it. What, do you, what is it that you're trying to tell me in this moment? What is it that you're trying to teach me in this situation? God, I'm leaning in and I'm asking you for wisdom because I'm not sure exactly what you're up to. But I want to understand what it is that you're trying to say to me. Jesus, in, later on in Mark chapter four, when he's talking to the disciples and he's explaining to them what, what he was meaning, he says in verse 24, he says, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen the more understanding you will be given and you will receive even more. So when Jesus said that weird phrase about having ears and hearing, when Jesus commands the crowd to listen, what he's commanding them to do is to obey. And it's important for you and I to understand that following Jesus and our growth is tied to our willingness to listen and to obey 
what Jesus is telling us. Not just for knowledge sake, not just so that we have more information, but so that you and I can be full recipients of God's kingdom. And that's, the, that's what the disciples did. When the rest of the crowd went, this is ridiculous, and they walked off. The disciples were the ones that went up to Jesus and said, Jesus, you got to explain this to us. We don't understand what you're meaning. And because of that, they were the only ones that were able to fully understand what Jesus was saying. Now, not only are we recipients of God's kingdom in this story, but the other part that we play is that you and I are participants in God's kingdom. We're participants in God's kingdom. And in this context, in this part, you and I are the farmer. But before you try to go to farmersonly.com and set up your profile, we're not looking for a pretty farmer to settle down with. All right. In this context, you and I are looking for lives to sow into. Because if God has changed our heart, then he has put seed in our hand. Right? If God has changed your heart and if God has changed my heart, then as part of that, he has put seed in our hand. And he has given us the calling and the command as farmers to plant that seed everywhere we go. To sow into the lives of other people who are all around us. That we've got to be willing to spread the good news of the gospel at the gym that we go to, to the neighbor in the cul-de-sac, to that barista at the coffee shop, which is Dunkin' Donuts if you really love Jesus. Yeah. To the, the family member, even that crazy uncle that weirds us out a little bit. To that coworker that we see every single day. That we understand that our calling is as farmers and we are willing to plant that seed everywhere we go. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we give a gospel presentation every time. But what it means is that the fruit of God's kingdom that should be produced in the good soil of our lives is evident in our interaction with other people. So God's love, God's joy, God's grace, God's kindness, those seeds are being planted everywhere we go in the lives of other people that we interact with. I think sometimes for us, the barrier to that and the mistake that we make sometimes is we predetermine who will accept it and who won't. And if we're honest, I think a lot of us, we do this a lot. We kind of, we put these people in these groups. And there's this group over here that we go, man, they would, he or she would never be receptive to the gospel. Or in this person over here, they are far too caught up in the things of this world to ever really be a follower of Jesus. In essence, what we do is we, we label people in those unfit soil. We determine what soil other people are in. And then we determine whether or not we're going to plant seeds in, that, in those people's lives. And if we determine that they're unfit, then we don't actually share it with them because we feel like it's a waste of time. Now, the reality is there will be people who will not be receptive to the, the gospel. But you and I don't know who those people are, and it's not our job to figure it out. 
You notice the farmer in the story, he doesn't do that. When Jesus is telling the story, that farmer throws the seed all over every square inch of his field. He plants the seed. So every square inch of his territory, of his field, he plants seed in. He doesn't determine what soil the the seed will grow in. And I think for you and I, we've got to be willing to do the same thing. Again, later on in, in chapter four, when, um, when Jesus, is, he's kind of talking about, he's telling other parables, but then he's still kind of referring back to this one. And he says in verse 26, he says, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. See, just like you and I can't assume that we're the good soil, we can't assume that other people are the unfit soil, especially if we've never taken the time to plant seeds of God's kingdom in their lives. We're called to plant a seed. We're called to take our role as farmers seriously. And if you ever, maybe some farmers in the crowd that I offended earlier with farmers only, my apologies. Or maybe if you've ever tried to plant, grow grass in your yard, you know how difficult it is, how much hard work it takes, how much energy night and day that you've got to prepare the soil and then you've got to plant the seed and then you've got to water it and then you've got to fertilize it and then you've got to go back and plant more seed. Right? It takes a lot of energy, a lot of effort. You don't get good grass to grow by accident. You don't go up to your neighbor in the cul-de-sac who's got the best grass and you say, hey man, what did you do to get your grass looking so good? And he's like, I don't know. It just sort of happened that way, right? Good grass doesn't grow by accident and other people's lives will not be impacted around us by accident. It will happen because we take our role as farmers seriously and we consistently plant seeds of God's love and God's faithfulness in their lives. So to that coworker that we assume will never trust Christ, we plant seed in his life. Or maybe that family member who seems so shallow in her faith, we plant seeds in her life. Or to that neighbor whose house is bigger than ours and who seems like they're always caught up in the things of this world and getting the latest toy or the latest gadget or whatever. We, We plant seeds in his or her life. To the kids or the students or the adults that are in our lives, that are all around us, that sometimes we wonder, God, can you really ever impact them? We dive into the work and we plant the seeds and we serve them to those desperately in need in our community. We plant those seeds of generosity as full participants of God's kingdom. Everywhere we go, we plant those seeds. And we just never know what God's gonna do with that seed. I mentioned at the beginning that story of of D.L. Moody and kind of that ripple effect and how many people's lives have been impacted 
And as I studied the story a little bit more, I learned something that rocked me in that when Edward Kimball showed up at that Sunday or at that, um, that shoe store to preach the gospel to D.L. Moody, that D.L. Moody on the surface appeared to be like that first type of soil. He was completely disinterested in Jesus. In fact, that's the reason why Edward Kimball showed up at the shoe store because Moody had been in his Sunday school class and seemed completely disinterested, didn't want anything to do with it. And so rather than dismiss him, Edward Kimball showed up, took the extra step and planted another seed at that shoe store and led him to faith in Jesus. And after Moody had trusted Christ, here's what Edward Kimball, the Sunday school teacher said later on. He said, on the surface, I can truly say, and in saying it, I magnify the infinite grace of God that I have seen few people whose minds were spiritually darker than Moody's was when he came into my Sunday school class. And our church seldom met someone more unlikely ever to become a Christian. How is it that one of the greatest evangelists in the history of our country seems so unlikely to ever become a Christian? And can you imagine the ramifications if Edward Kimball had predetermined that D.L. Moody would never accept Jesus as his savior? And so we never took the step and showed up at that shoe store. Now God is sovereign and God can do anything and he may have used somebody else but there are potentially billions of people that were impacted by that one decision that Edward Kimball made. And the truth is no one at the time would have blamed him because the other people that knew Moody, he seemed like a lost cause. But can anybody give an amen to the truth that there are no lost causes for Jesus? There are none. And the truth is God has put those lost causes in all of our lives and he's put some seed in our hands and he's given us the opportunity to be participants in his kingdom and to make him known to other people who desperately need to hear it. So whose lives are you sowing into? What is happening to the seeds that are planted in your own life? And whose lives are you sowing into? God invites all of us to lean in, to hear what he's saying, to understand, and then to walk in obedience to the God who designed us to love him. And who invites us to be recipients of his kingdom and also to be participants in it. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for stories like this that on the surface make no sense. But knowing who you are and understanding that nothing ever happens without a purpose. God, when we lean in, when we try to get a better understanding, we realize that the reality is this story has so much application for every single one of us. God, thank you that you have come to rescue us. 
Thank you that you invite all of us in to be recipients of your kingdom. God, I pray if there are men and women or students in this room who have never taken that step, never put their faith and trust in you as their savior, God, that they would do that today and that those seeds would go deep into their heart and that they would bear fruit. God, I pray that all of us would be that good soil in the story to not assume that we are, but God, to reflect on our lives and determine what is it that we do with those seeds that are planted? Are there rocks that we need to pull up? Is the soil unfit for those seeds that are planted? God, would you allow for all of us to be that good soil and to bear fruit? And God, thank you that not only that, but then as we are recipients of it, you invite us to be participants in it. God, help us to be willing to plant those seeds in other people's lives all around us, to not predetermine who, should be, who would accept it and who is worthy enough that there are no lost causes with you. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.